Joe slash Jaya for nominating me for the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm -hmm. Okay, I would like to nominate Amy Zahoviak, um, Alex Little, Cameron Kettles, and Mahat Gupta. You have 24 hours. It's funny how life changes. That was me about five to six years ago doing the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, not even knowing what it was. And now today, about five years later, I'm a 16-year-old whose father has ALS. I was a senior in high school, so about 17 or 18 years old. My sister is now in college, but my dad was diagnosed three years ago. I found out on accident. I came home early from school and there was a letter on the counter that said with like Papa's name on it in ALS and I at the time didn't really know what it was so I brought it up to my mom and asked her what it was and she started crying and I realized that that's what he had. When I learned my dad had ALS, a neurodegenerative disease with no cure, in middle school, a disease that most people die from two to five years later made me grow up pretty quick. My family went through a lot of different stages. And first, it was difficult to even properly diagnose him because the disease has such little research information. 2016. I went to a neurologist appointment with your papa. Mm -hmm. Papa was going for his third um, consultation, mine first. And that's when the doctor told us, and that's the first time I heard about it. This was Papa's third Houston, doctor appointment, Boston. mine first. After that, we went to a total of six to reconfirm the diagnosis. After we finally came to terms with the diagnosis, my dad refused to give up. So while he still had some muscle functionality, my parents traveled all over to participate in different clinical trials. There's lots of different clinical trials all over the world. We even went to India for a clinical trial. Um, the thing with clinical trials is one, if you do one, you literally are eliminated from all the others for three to four, six months. So you have to choose the right clinical trial. At this point, after we realized the trials weren't doing anything, it kind of hit us hard because we could start to see my dad actually losing function of his body. By this, I mean I watched him lose his ability to walk entirely, listen to his voice change into a computer, and now the only movement he has left is in his eyes. We stopped doing the trial because Papa was deteriorating. We did, for eight months, traveling to Boston twice a month was physically difficult now on both him and I. It took a week to recover, so we chose to stop. Nothing seemed promising, and since we were in this, we were automatically not able to do any other trials for several months. The grief set in for everybody as we were all going through our own processes. 
my mom really wanted to talk it out. My grandma kept more to herself. My sister avoided the topic entirely, and my dad went through an entirely different set of emotions. Anger, fear, sadness, as he grappled with his new reality. And for me, I'm still trying to figure my own emotions out. I went from being a wife to a caretaker. I think I... Honestly, don't think about any of that stuff because it's, it's too hard. And I refuse, I refuse to let this ALS be the defining of this family. We're more than that. I'm more than that. Your papa's more than that. He's not just an ALS patient. He's an awesome father, awesome husband, an amazing doctor, cares for people. One of the hardest parts is reflecting on our life before and the things that we were able to do as a family. And yet my dad spent his life dedicated to medicine and he often tells me about how frustrating it is and the lack of solutions for ALS. Because of his condition, he is unable to speak anymore. So he now has a computer that he controls with his eyes, with a camera, and that's how he will be speaking. There's so much that has changed when you get diagnosed with the drug at three letters. That instantly turns your life completely upside down. I know as someone with a medical background, when I was given that diagnosis, I immediately had flashback to my time as a medical student studying pathology, where we learned the basis of what goes wrong with the different tissues in the body to cause the different diseases. I distinctly remember when we were studying neurological diseases and the study notes ALS was at the very end and all we had to remember about it was it was a progressive disease of the motor neurons, which we did not know cause and there was no treatment. That was it. And in that moment all I do was picture my notes from med school and even as the doctor was talking she just sounded like the teacher from Charlie Brown. After that she just go through the stages of grief, denial, anger, etc. This disease has affected my entire family, but it has been three years, and we are still finding a way every day to keep our lives going. But sometimes I wonder how on earth we have and continue to be so resilient and how we don't get crushed under the immense amount of grief that every day brings. We had to contact the next interviewee by phone because of the coronavirus outbreak. So I'm Amanda Frederick. I'm the upper school counselor at Green Hill School. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor and a registered play therapist. And I have a master's in counseling from SMU. So first, thank you for being here. And my first question is, 
In your profession, have you noticed any patterns between people who experience grief? Someone explained grief to me in a way that it's like holding a um, beach ball underwater. Um, It's really hard at the beginning to kind of push it down. And no matter what you do, it always is going to kind of pop back up. Those thoughts and those feelings are always there. So it's not like it gets any easier to kind of keep it down. It's just, we adjust a little bit more. We kind of gain the muscles we need to learn how to like get through things on a day-to-day basis. So then while people are grieving, have you noticed anything about how people may be able to build up their resiliency? So in terms of like resiliency and things that we know are factors of resiliency. Sense of humor is one of them, which may seem just awful during a time of like grief or something, but having a sense of humor is such a massive component of resiliency. If you can't cry, laugh. And if you can cry, you can laugh too, right? Like you can do both. Schedules and routines are really, really healthy for us. And so distractions can sometimes be okay and so when it comes to being resilient like if you need to give yourself a minute to distract yourself with something that's okay I think that's just a testament to the human spirit those practices are more difficult in reality than they may seem but my dad has found a way to to harness the spirit to persevere through this After I finally accepted that fate had dealt me a pretty tough hand and I started to lose the ability to work, brush my teeth, comb my hair, feed myself, scratch and even lost the ability to talk, I had to decide if I wanted to fight for this life or let them disease which had already taken all normal human dignity away, whether I can find some extraordinary human dignities like the joy of my children, this love of my wife the fulfillment of friendships, and I decided that even though it's been more than a century since this disease had been described in another 70 years since it was given prominence, when it afflicted legendary New York Yankee Luger Hague, there had to be people who beat the odds. A very large part of living with Alza's mental well-being. From some stories I have heard about others is they succumb to the disease, which I can tell you is very easy to do. This is a relentless process that most certainly beats you down physically and removes any shred of human dignity all the while leaving you completely dependent on the compassion of caregivers for your every moment of life. If that doesn't mentally break you especially when you go from being a highly functioning person to one left to one where the only remnant is in your head completely and utterly trapped inside a body you don't even recognize. Then yes, this is a very powerful disease that has to be fought with a strong desire to live to be thankful for family and friends, to bask in the love and joy of the beauty around you every day. That in meditation that my family and friends have been so instrumental in supporting me with has for me made all the difference. My dad is honestly the glue that holds this family together. Every single day that he opens his eyes and chooses to tell us he is ready to get out of bed, he is showing us how to be resilient. This is a heartbreaking disease to grow up watching, but it is my family that gives each of us a reason to not give up. Peace and living for today is more important than anything else.